future, talk radio will actually educate, inspire, and make you think. The future is now. Topics and music that affect your life from Universal Broadcasting Network. Tune in at ubnradio.com. She's passionate about telling stories of amazing women who are rocking the world and empowering women to live, love, and thrive. Here's your host, Katherine Gray. Hi, and welcome to Live, Love, Thrive, Women's Empowerment Hour, brought to you by 360karma.com. I have two remarkable guests today, both that help empower women. Uh, later in the show, we're going to be talking to therapist Lisa Taher. She helps women overcome trauma and abuse, and she has a fantastic new foundation called Yes. So we're going to talk about that. But first, let's chat with our uh, international speaker and spiritual life advisor, Jeffrey Van Dyke, who helps women launch their legacy. Welcome, Jeffrey. Thank you so much. Hi, it's good to be here. How are you? It's good to have you here. Thank you. Um, so, uh, it's very interesting how you, as a man, yeah. uh, have chosen to help women. Uh, basically, mostly very successful midlife women yeah. who are trying to tap into a more meaningful reason that they're here and how to uh, manifest that into a legacy. Yeah. Yes? Yeah, through business. Through business. Yeah. Right. I love that. Uh, I, I feel like there's so many people uh, being in my midlife, what a shocker, uh, <laughs> that are around me that feel that way, like, well, what now? Yeah. You know, I've had a successful career. What am I going to do with the rest of my life to uh, give it meaning and, and do what my life purpose is? And yeah. I know you're really good at helping people figure out what that is. Yeah. 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 You know, it's funny when you say uh, it, it, it's interesting being a man that I chose this market. And I would say the market chose me. Yeah. And <laughs> we're going to talk about why you're such a good fit for it. Right, yeah. right, right. It was more just over time like, oh, wow, these are the people that are showing up in my world yeah. and, and that I'm somehow suited to serve. Right. Uh, and so, you know, sometimes the market chooses you and then you have to choose them back. Right, <laughs> right, <know>? yeah. <laughs> The, the universe kind of taps you on the shoulder and says, uh, this is your assignment. Right, yeah. exactly. Um, so um, it, it, I want to go back to your your youth because that kind of is the path that kind of led you where you are today as most people. Yep. Um, and your youth, um, you I know, had a tough time growing up in Michigan as, uh, as a young gay man. Yep. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think we have a picture uh, of when you were 14. Yeah, still, yeah. you were a cute little dude. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So my, my little uh, middle school punk rock yeah, years. Yeah, you were a tough guy, huh? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. hard to imagine you like that, you know, being right. a tough guy. And, yeah, no, I, I meant that in the nicest right, way. Right, right. Thank you, thank you. Yeah. Uh, yeah, um, you know, I grew up in a really religious community and a really religious household. We... Uh, we grew up as as Calvinists, being good Dutch people in Holland, Michigan. Uh -huh. uh, but in about first grade or so, we started moving into evangelical Christianity. And, um, you know, it was a lot about doom and gloom, a lot about, like, if, if you aren't saved, mm -hmm. you're going to hell. Right. Um, and so, yeah, as a kid, I, I... Yeah, I've always thought, what kind of a God is that? You know, well, that I, we, I, I, uh, 
yeah. fabricated. I, yeah. I, 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 and I couldn't connect to it. You know, yeah. they're like, you need to take the Lord Jesus as your savior. And yeah. I'm like, or else, or yeah. else. Yeah. Right. And it was, it, it, you know, if you don't know for sure that if you leave church today and get hit by a car, you're going to heaven, you know, you need to get saved. Right. And but I had the so hardest. So fear based instead of love based. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Right. And um, I could never be assured of that in my own mind. Right. You know, um, <laughs> you'll love this. So they, they talk so you about. So you knew you were gay or you didn't know you were gay? So at that time, I didn't know I was gay. I, I realized I was gay the summer I turned 13. Okay. Um, so, so that was sort of the uh, uh, formative years. Mm-hmm. And I think it really set me up because it, it was all this, this you know, information about uh, who you need to be and how mm-hmm. you need to behave and what you need to believe in order to be saved, in order mm-hmm. to go to heaven, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So fast forward um, to uh, <coughs> when I moved, we, in about sixth grade, we moved out of that and kind of back into more, quote unquote, mainstream Christianity. And I went to a new school. And, um, you know, the summer before I, I went to that new school mm-hmm. was when I realized I was gay. Oh, my. Uh, it was at the beach in Holland, Michigan, on Lake Michigan with mm-hmm. my big sister and her friends. And she's three years older, so they're all 16 and gorgeous and blonde. And, and you were not interested. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I didn't know I was interested until this one day we're at the beach and we're laying out. We're on our blankets laying out, right? And her friends come up to say hello. And there's these gorgeous girls in bikinis. Um, but I could not keep my eyes off their boyfriend's abs, right? That was like, whoa. Um, and it was this, oh, crap. A light bulb. I'm looking at the wrong thing. Right, right. You know? Um, or is, at the time you thought that's, the wrong that's, thing. That's what I thought. Now we and, know it's the right thing. But... Uh, right, exactly. But, uh, you know, at the time it, it came with all the fear of, oh, no, that, that definitely means I'm going to hell, right? So for years mm-hmm. I fought it. I didn't tell a soul till I was 21. Wow. Um, That's a long time. You know, so it was my secret for nine years. Um, And yeah, uh, the kids in in my new school, because at the same time, I think I needed to express my difference without Mm -hmm. saying I'm gay, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, because this was the 80s. In Michigan. Right. Uh, so instead, I became punk rocker. <laughs> right? I, I shaved half my head. I wore all black. Uh-huh. I got my combat boots. And uh, all the kids in school, all the boys in school, started calling me fairy at this new school. Hey, fairy. You know? And um, Even though you were looking punk rock and everything, huh? They wouldn't do it to my face. Uh, I was 6'2 by the time I was 13. Wow. Uh, so I haven't actually oh, grown. Too. Right. <laughs> I actually haven't grown in height since then. And um, so uh, they would they would call me names from maybe 30 feet away. Oh, my. Um, you know, because they knew, like, I could pummel them if I right. wanted to. And uh, I, I, I would always remember them. And two, three days later, if we passed in the hallway... I'd sock them in the gut, right, and keep walking. And about two and hours they didn't later, call you that anymore? No, they kept no. they kept doing. I got forty seven detentions that year. Oh my! Uh, so um, yeah, fortunately, the next year my family moved to Vienna, Austria, and um, it's a very different culture. And the kids I became friends with there were at the American mm-hmm. School in Vienna, so they were diplomats' kids and very cultured and mm-hmm. interesting, and um, and that was great. You know, and more accepting or uh, I mean, I didn't tell anybody I was gay, but yeah, um, right. you know, they were Nobody hassled you. No, God, yeah. no. Um, yeah. Europe has a little different culture, more 
accepting, I think, yeah. even to this day. Yeah. Well, well, and, and and diplomats' kids have had have experienced a lot of things, right? You know, and because they move a lot, they're also adept at uh, meeting new people and mm-hmm. uh, befriending. So that's why them. you were there. Uh, my father was a uh, engineer for GM, a oh. senior electrical engineer, and he made fuel injectors. So they were building a new plant outside of Vienna oh. uh, for Opel, uh-huh. and so we moved there while he uh, got the new plant off the ground. Oh, so yeah, wow, that must have been an interesting thing as a kid to get it's to amazing. live in another country and it was amazing another culture. Uh, you know, and I was always a little old for my age, so my parents. They kind of understood that I could handle myself. Mm-hmm. And um, so, you know, uh, there you hang out at the pubs, mm-hmm. um, but you never get wasted. It's such a faux pas. Yeah. You know, right? I, I, it's more I, of I, just a social it's thing. It's a social thing. Yeah, yeah. And so I learned a very different culture around alcohol and social uh, interactions. And we lived right near the Volksoper, the uh, opera. And it was, it was, it was amazing. And. <clears throat> I know you've traveled a lot, so that probably yeah. influenced your your wanting to travel. I guess, yeah. yeah. I lived in Vienna when I was a kid, and then uh, about fifteen years ago, I lived in London for a bit. So I've right. got the pleasure of living. And in then Europe I know uh, you spent time in Israel. Uh, I've d- spent a lot of time in Israel. Yeah. I built a company in Israel in two thousand nine, two thousand ten. Yeah. So I was going there every quarter for about three weeks, stints at a time. And I want to talk about that, but first, uh, you did do a stint with Microsoft. Yes. That's right. That's yeah. right. So, uh, yeah, my degrees are in music. <laughs> oh, my gosh. How'd you end up at Microsoft? Uh, it's a long story. That must be but, a long story. Yeah. Oh, we only have a 15 right, minutes. <laughs> right. But uh, I got into I, I moved from education into training and development, basically, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. then uh, did that in the tech sector oh. and eventually uh, got to Microsoft. And it was a funny thing because as a kid, I always grew up thinking like, I'm never going to have a nine to five. Like I knew as a kid, I wasn't a nine to fiver. Yeah. Right. And I would always look at interesting jobs. Like I remember seeing roadies and going like at at a concert and like, how do you get those jobs? Yeah. You know, and not that I would like have this ambition to be a roadie, but just interested in like, okay, how do you get those? A job that's not nine to five. (laughs) Right. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Right. And um, it was very funny to find myself at Microsoft for a while because I was like, oh, wow. How did this happen? Yeah. But um, yeah, I I went through a similar thing where I worked for a company for like a decade and yeah. I never dreamed I'd, I'm such an entrepreneur right. so yeah. I know what you mean but it, you get some good foundation from absolutely. it absolutely yeah. absolutely and um, yeah so I was there until 2006 and I've uh-huh. been in the career I have now since then yeah yeah so when you got out of there what made you decide to get into this uh, spiritual life advising and coaching and teaching and business development business development um, <clears throat> it it started with dissatisfaction in my soul. Mm-hmm. Um, that wrestling inside that, like, this isn't it, and I know it's not it. Right. And, um, and simultaneously not knowing what else it was. Right. You know, and at first I was like, maybe I just need a new job. And it was like, no, it's not a so new job. So you actually went through yourself what you help other people do now. Oh, yeah, in a big way. Which is delve into, well, what is it I'm meant to be doing? The and, question. And, and what am I supposed to be doing? And how do I make that into a business? And yeah. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. So it happened to you first. It happened to me first. And, yeah. you know, fortunately, and I, I find that, that the universe has this way 
of planting seeds, of opening doors, of at least putting little signposts mm -hmm. if you notice them. Right. right. You've gotta you've gotta keep your eyes open. Right. You've gotta have your antenna up and be willing to notice them. But most people are unwilling to even notice them because if they notice them, they're gonna have to start acting on them. Right. And that's where it gets a little scary. Right. right? Like when someone refers somebody or you know, hey, why don't you call this person? Or you run into someone or they know someone. I went on a date. Yeah. There you go. I went on this blind date. Somebody set me up with this uh restaurateur. Uh, James Shank, he owns this uh, restaurant called Destino in San Francisco. I was living mm -hmm. in San Francisco at the time. Sweetheart. Um, mm -hmm. And romance was not to be had between us. But uh, that date changed my life because wow. he used a coach to start his restaurant. Oh. And um, his restaurant's very successful, which is a big deal in San Francisco. Mm -hmm. um, and he told me all about like how they talked about how are people going to feel in this restaurant, Mm -hmm. What kind of conversations are they going to have? Mm -hmm. If they leave and talk to somebody the next day, what are they going to talk about? Mm -hmm. You know, really built the soul of the restaurant first wow. and then said, great, what's the what's the decor? Mm -hmm. What's the cuisine? What's the location? What's mm -hmm. the price point? All that built the material of it from the soul. You know, of it's it. fascinating you're saying that because, you know. There's so many restaurants, but there are some that you go in and you leave with the feeling. They say you don't remember what people say. You remember how they make you feel. feel right. And, and there's certain restaurants you have that whole experience yeah. that you can't put into words. It's not just the food or the service, but the feeling you get when you leave there. Like, wow, what a great yeah. experience. Yeah. And other restaurants just walk in and out. And I just nothing. consulted with uh, some restaurateurs here in L.A. that own one very successful restaurant and another restaurant they started recently that they just couldn't get working. Mm -hmm. And as I interviewed them about the concept and about how the restaurants came to be, mm -hmm. the first one was an act of love, right? Mm -hmm. It was their soul. It was their passion project. Right, right. The second one was a good mm -hmm. concept they thought could work. Ah. And I was like, the second one has no soul. Yeah. It has no identity. It doesn't have a sense of right. place. It doesn't would, have an anchor. So it's not pulling people in. Would you say every business is that way? I do think so. Yeah. I think great businesses have mm -hmm. at its core this seed of something that wants to be expressed. It's kind of like uh, that Zappos. Uh, you know, everybody talks about what an incredible company they have. Right. And it feels like because that company has heart and soul. Uh, it's giving back, it's good to its uh, people, they're like family. I mean, right. I've heard such good things about that dynamic. So I think that's like one of the best examples of how putting and your heart and soul into the culture of your business for your employees and yeah. your customers makes such a difference. Absolutely. Yeah. I think it's I think it's having a sense of purpose, mm -hmm. having an understanding of what is this creative spark that wants to get expressed through you as an individual or as a business, and then putting structure and strategy to that creative spark. Right. Right. So Tony Shea wouldn't have built this massive company right. uh, just on the passion. It has to be followed right. by structure and strategy, but it's a structure and strategy informed right. by this higher purpose. Right. Tapping into that. Um, because I believe everybody has a gift and a calling, and it's usually what they're passionate about. And I know you talk about it's uh, usually something to do with how you were wounded. Uh, you know, whatever obstacles you had to overcome usually is a training for what it is you're meant to be doing. Yeah. And, I, you know, I'm thinking of examples like that. I know our next guest coming on, uh, 
had a challenging background growing up in a multicultural family, and now she's a therapist helping other women uh, with similar things and with trauma and abuse and things like that. Uh, that's how she used her, uh, you know, challenges yep. into what she does today, and among other to things world. like creating her fabulous Yes Foundation. Uh, but uh, I do think it's uh, a very valid point that <clears throat> we often do not want to look at right. our challenges. We want to kind of put them under a rock right, and say, right. sorry, that happened to me, instead of saying, what could I learn from that and make a positive that uh, has something to do with what my calling and purpose here is? Yeah. 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 Um, so I say two things. <laughs> One is, yes, your wounds, your challenges in life are the training program for your life's contribution mm -hmm. um, as a general statement. Mm -hmm. And I see that over and over and over and over again. Any entrepreneur or business owner I interview about their challenges, there's always a direct line to mm -hmm. their work. Because they see a need. Because they, uh, they I went don't even know if it's that logical no? all the time. Oh, okay. For example, um, I've been working more and more with people in the financial services industry. Mm -hmm. And a common core wound of people in the financial services is around worthlessness. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and, and what I meant by that is uh, because of their worthlessness feeling, right. they realize there's a need to help other people that had that same feeling they had. I don't think it's always that logical. Okay. I think they re in the first part of life, we react to our wounds. Okay. We go, no, I don't want to feel that worthlessness. Right. I'm going to go and create value. Right. Right. I'm going to build my own nest egg. Right. I'm going to show that I'm not worthless. This is all happening unconsciously. Right, right. Right. Yeah, they're not um, thinking of that consciously. No. Yeah. When we step into our calling, however, then we say, oh, we look back and go, how how does that inform what I'm meant to do in the world? Mm -hmm. How does that inform who I'm meant to serve? How does that inform uh, what my expertise is? You mm -hmm. know, one of the things I talk about sometimes, the analogy I like to use is like a Sherpa. Yeah. Right? If you hire a Sherpa to go into the Himalayas, you want the Sherpa that knows the Himalayas in and out, knows every little nook and cranny, knows right. like, ooh, the wind just changed slightly this way, so we got to stay at base camp or we're going to get in an avalanche. Right. Right. And you don't want the Sherpa that's like, I've been in the Himalayas once. Yeah. Or like, oh, I, I know the Andes. How different yeah. can mountain ranges be? Right. Right. No. You want that third generation in their bones. And, right. And so I think our, our, our the path we live and re response to our wounds mm -hmm. is like that. It, 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 we, we traverse a certain landscape that we know in and out. And of mm -hmm. course, wouldn't we do that in order to serve from that? Mm -hmm. Right? It seems silly to me that we would go, oh, let me just uh, divorce myself from that mm -hmm. and try to move on. Right. Um, on some level, it's like, oh, I think we're sometimes missing the point mm -hmm. that there's value and resource there. But we must move from, oh, that happened to me mm -hmm. to it happened for me. Happened for me. Right. And so uh, your example would mean that uh, this person has uh, become successful themselves. Uh, mm -hmm even though they had that challenge. And so once they become successful, I know you talk about people having a tribe, and in that tribe would be other people who have gone through the same thing you've gone through, and now you're able to help them because you're an right. expert in that area right. now. Yeah. The thing is, uh, 
our wounds are mainly unconscious, mm-hmm. so we can't market to them, right? Because right. really, the 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 public facing thing I do for people is marketing. It's yeah. it's branding, it's messaging, it's go to market strategy, mm-hmm. positioning. Um, and so we can't market to any of that, right? It's like, right. do you feel worthless? Let me help you with your money. Right. No, yeah. no one's, no. Right. Uh-uh. right. So we've got to go, okay, if that's the wound underneath the surface in your tribe's life, mm-hmm. what are the symptoms, oh. right? How is that showing up and how they relate to money right. and what they're looking for, say, in a financial advisor, right. if I'm working with an advisor, right? Right. Um, and so I had somebody not long ago that, that um, you know, was always... Uh, second best, kind of. That was the wound. She had an older sister that was a Velvictorian and, right. you know, always outshined her. And she always felt kind of uh, uh, worthless and second best. Yeah. I said, great. So that feeling is going to be in the undercurrent of your tribe and it's going to color how they relate to money. Mm-hmm. So then we explore what that might look like and who that might be. And so she really started to look, oh, I pushed so hard to then become number one mm-hmm. because I never wanted to be second best like how I felt as a kid. Mm-hmm. And so she pushed and pushed, right, and, and and became highly successful, has two advanced degrees, et cetera, et cetera, mm-hmm. right, type A driver. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, great. What about if you focus on type A driver women because mm-hmm. she's a woman in her 50s. Like herself. Like herself, mm-hmm. right, that secretly are scared that it's all going to get washed away. Mm. Right. I know there's a, a, that I'm a get, lot of people right. out there that feel that way. They, they say that's very common for successful people to right. have and that, that fear. That feel of like, right. oh, and, and really what it is inside is I'm going to feel that worthlessness again and I don't want right. to. So that's her calling is to help those people right. that identify with her. And so then we right. can look and see. Well, And I, I wanted to get yeah. to the fact that uh, women, the reason that you, uh, you say women have chosen you is being a gay man – <clears throat> women often don't feel com- uh, comfortable with uh, a straight man or with a, a woman. And so there's some sort of comfort <laughs> in working with a gay man yeah. because they're trying to resolve things with maybe men. But uh, there's no there's nothing, you know, there's no agenda with a gay man. So right. it kind of gives them a comfort zone. Right. So that's interesting that that's how you yeah, we ended talked up about that the other day. being connected to women in their midlife that are looking to... Well, I think a couple things are true. I think one is in midlife period, you know, we react to our wounds and we go out and we try to prove the thing that we actually uh, don't want to feel wrong. Right. And that pushes us in the first half of life. And we build a lot of skill and a lot of ability in reaction to our wounds. But then there's this point, and I say that all wounds have an expiration date. Yeah. Where those old wounds start to expire and you just can't keep pushing anymore. Right. And you're like, start to look around in your life and you're like, is this all there is? Right. What am I here for? Sometimes it's also accompanied by this tap on the shoulder, this deeper knowing there's more for me to deliver to this world. Right. Right. So something it's something more meaningful. Something more meaningful. And, and to leave a legacy, which is how we started off the conversation. Where to I'm leave supposed to take your legacy. All the things that I've developed over the years and and package them in a higher service. Right. Right. Something that is bigger than me. Something to make a difference. That that makes yeah. a difference. Yeah. Right. Well, I do want to say uh, I am so happy to say that you're going to be at our conference on yes. November 12th and that you are also featured in our DVD series that's coming out called How Do You Find, Fun, Market, and Manifest Your Life's Purpose? Yeah. So I'm, I'm thrilled to have that uh, going to be available 
uh, online, but also at the conference, November 12th. And uh, I'm so happy to know you and to have you be a part of 360 Karma Experts team. Yeah, I think it's going to be a really great time. And people can find you online at uh, jeffreyvandyke.com. That's right. And you have workshops, and uh, obviously people can reach out to work with you and uh, tap into that life's purpose and, uh, you know, uh, just make it an incredible difference being here on the planet. And uh, I think the work you're doing is amazing. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks for being here. I'm so glad I was able to. Okay. We'll be right back with Lisa Teher. Do you want to have more passion and purpose in your day-to-day? Are you yearning to ignite your power within? Now, more than ever, the world needs women who dream big, inspire others, and are living their greater purpose. There's never been a better time to up your game and make your success happen now. Contact Danny Rukin for a complimentary consultation and find out more about how you can become more effective, energized, and empowered while making a difference in doing what you love. Go to www.dannyrukin.com. The Live, Love, Thrive radio show is produced by 360karma.com. Are you a 360 Karma woman? If so, spread the word. Be sure to follow us on social media at 360 Karma Women on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Please like us and share us with family and friends. This is the year of the woman, and we are stronger together. The Live, Love, Thrive program is brought to you in part by Honda of downtown Los Angeles, supporting the equality and empowerment of women. Fans of the Live, Love, Thrive radio show, join us for our Live, Love, Thrive conference in Los Angeles on November 12, 2016. This will be one of the most dynamic and interactive conferences in the country regarding equal pay and the shift of putting more women into positions of influence. Plus, incredible speakers, music, and life-changing tools to help you find your life purpose and create your legacy. Get your tickets now at www.LiveLoveThriveConference.com. And we are back with Lisa Teher. Hey, Catherine. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Good. I'm so happy to have you here. Um, I am excited to talk about the Yes Foundation and tell everybody how that got started and what it's about. Very exciting. Uh, But first I want to talk about... Um, you know, what brought you to being a therapist and, and then creating the Yes Foundation? So first, um, just as we were talking about with Jeffrey, yeah. I know people's backgrounds often lead them to, you know, what they're doing. Some people don't really find their calling till midlife, later right. in life. But you kind of started uh, in something that was your calling, uh, you know, for your entire career, right? In, yes. in being a therapist. Yes. Yeah. Well, I want to tell you, thank you for having me on because mm-hmm. I am most often in your seat interviewing people on my I radio know. show You're... or in the, you know, therapist chair. So this is yeah. really different uh, for me. Right. And and just as I was reflecting on what to talk about, um, I realized that my whole upbringing has been about women's empowerment yes. and the way that I grew up in a multicultural home, yes. meaning specifically an American mother uh-huh. and a father from a village in Pakistan. Wow. And uh, there's a cultural and, difference. Absolutely. Huh? Yeah. And just they're coming together and you know, what was expected of me and and what mm-hmm. I learned in growing up in my family home. You know, my father came from a village, no electricity, right. dirt poor. Right. And he walked a mile 
to study under the one electric bulb at the train wow. station wow. because he wanted to be a doctor in America. Oh my gosh. And when he was a young man, there was a competition to mm -hmm. send, you know, students to America to medical school mm -hmm. and he studied, took the exam. The next day it was published in the paper who wow. who was accepted yeah. and he was not published. His father was a military uh person in the Pakistani army and beat him almost within inches of his life because he did not make the newspaper. Oh my and it turns out the next day he was published on the front page, the one and only one that oh got the scholarship gosh. to come to America. Wow. I have goosebumps. Wow. Yeah, I'm serious. And so I'm first generation. He oh came here, gosh. met my mother at Charity Hospital in New Orleans. Which, now I know where you get your brains from. Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Yeah. And, uh, they met, and my father began to bring his wow. siblings over from Pakistan. Wow. So I grew up, and my mom did such a good job of making yeah. them feel at home, mm -hmm. you know, wearing the traditional clothing, you know, learning to cook the food. And so there were some beautiful things that I got from that childhood. Right. Like, I could pray to Mecca if I wanted with my family. Right. Or I could go to Episcopal Church with my grandparents. Right. That was not forced upon me. Right. So, so those are these two different cultures. Absolutely. And, yeah. that, that really came together. Mm -hmm. And yet, you know, what didn't work is right. is the culture as I experienced it right. is in my family was very oppressive towards women you know right. we didn't have a voice children were seen and not heard right. there was violence used for discipline mm -hmm. so there's a lot of fear in right. my childhood I felt right. so much fear and, and those I, cultures uh, still to this day uh, you know are not empowering of women right. so it's it's interesting isn't it uh, that he went through so much to get to where he was, I'm sure, to, you know, create a good life for you all and mm -hmm. everything. But uh, it is sad that, you know, they didn't have the, the skills or, you know, their culture just didn't teach respect of women right. and, and uh, lifting women up. And, mm -hmm. yeah, so I can see that would be really challenging. And my father and I yeah. talk about that now. And it's good now. that you uh, are able to put a focus on the positive yes. part of it. Yeah. You know, that's really healthy, obviously. Thank you. Yeah. It, it has been. And my father and I speak about that now, and he mm -hmm. wishes he would have done those things differently. Mm -hmm. He just didn't know. How well, that's great. So he's come around and Absolutely. grown a lot. That's, yeah. Well, Very. that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I learned, um, I kind of took those negative messages and used them against myself mm -hmm. for a lot of years mm -hmm. and didn't perform well in school, didn't apply myself you know, turned to drugs and alcohol to cope mm -hmm. with things. Mm -hmm. And then at 21, I decided to go to therapy. And I've had the most amazing therapist, Marilyn Dougal. Uh -huh. We still consult today. You know, I'm 45 in my yeah. practice and, and as I need. And she really helped me learn to believe in myself and unravel those core messages like you and Jeffrey were speaking about earlier. You know, and it's so true that uh, women in our culture period, even without having the uh, – Pakistani culture in your mm -hmm. household, um, it's it, it, it hasn't cultivated uh, self-esteem in a lot of women. I'm not saying no households, but a lot of households uh, don't cultivate self-esteem in, in women. And that is why they settle for paying paid less or they right. settle for... Uh, you know, not getting a job they deserve, and and that's what we—that's the purpose of the show, uh, yes. and, and talking to people that have overcome that, like yourself, right. and who are helping empower women, uh, because we do have to create uh, self-esteem and confidence in in women in order for them to rise into positions of influence. Absolutely. That they deserve. And I think what yeah. you're talking about is how we can support each other 
and, yes. and that women, how I've learned how important our relationships are mm-hmm. with each other. For me, my personal relationships are mm-hmm. most important. And when I think of women's empowerment, the component that really speaks to me now in my life is the is the social justice, the social change piece, mm-hmm. which is what my nonprofit is about. Right. And, and I think that the way I grew up and having to sort through these challenges and then learn to believe in myself and in turn just want to share and help others, mm-hmm. you know, that you don't have to have a perfect childhood to be a successful woman or a successful person, however mm-hmm. you would define that. You know, it's identifying what your passions are, mm-hmm. how you want to help. I'm really about being of service. Right. And um, so being a therapist has really allowed me that vehicle mm-hmm. to do such. And now you have launched the Yes Foundation, right. which I'm excited to tell sure. people about. I want you to tell them what it's about, but I want you to tell the backstory of why you created it. I think that was fascinating, was your motivation. I appreciate that. About your friend. Yeah. So when, prior to Katrina uh, hitting and devastating New Orleans. Because we forgot to say that you do spend half your time in L.A. and half your time in New Orleans. Yes. Yeah. Two weeks here, two weeks there. Mm -hmm. And um, before Katrina happened, my dearest friend, Beth Carter Drury, and her Mm -hmm. husband, Michael, three of us are very close, and he went to just trim a branch of a tree, like always. And when he trimmed that branch, another one was kind of jutted up behind it, knocked him off a ladder 20 feet onto the concrete, broke his back, and he has been paralyzed from the waist down. And then Katrina happened within the year, you know, destroyed their business, their home. So I've really seen them reconstruct their lives. And you said he was a race car driver? He was a race car driver. He raced snowmobiles. He set a speedboat record that's never been broken. Um, And they had a beautiful house in Steamboat Springs that I went to help them pack up because he couldn't maintain the land anymore. And so that accident put him in a wheelchair. Yes. And that is the beginnings of your idea to create Yes Foundation. Absolutely, because I started to wonder. At first, I was thinking more of myself than how to help others with this. But what if I was disabled? Right. You know, I love glass casting and glass art making and and how glass as an art form is not Americans with Disability Act compliant, ADA compliant. Mm -hmm. And why that's important to me is because my first degree in my undergraduate studies is a Bachelor of Science and Rehabilitation Counseling from LSU Medical Center in New Orleans. Oh, okay. Because I thought you were going to say you had a degree in glass blowing. No. No. <laughs> they have those. They, they have do? Those. Yeah, absolutely. Really? Oh, you're a master, MF at Master's well, of you, Fine Arts. Well, you heard it here first. Yeah. So so my first really? kind of career was helping people with disabilities, right. you know, stay in their current jobs, yeah. people in wheelchairs. So I had a working knowledge when Michael had his accident. Wow. You know, and knowing. So you are always uh, big into the glass blowing. Yes. And you thought, what if this happened to me mm-hmm. and I couldn't do what I love? Because yes. that, like, feeds your soul. Yes. Um, and so, therefore, you created something to help people. Absolutely. In a wheelchair yes. be able to do this really cool artwork, yes. which is glass blowing. Exactly. And it's very physical, right? Very. We actually have pictures of you doing it here. Oh, great. Um, are those up on the screen? Yeah, so uh, I I looked at the pictures and it looks very physical. It is physical. Yeah, and and so I started to think, how can this be accessible to people right. in wheelchairs? Right. So I started the work to make to create a five hundred one c three called the Yes Foundation. Like, right. yes, we can do it. Yes, this is possible. I love that. Thank you. And Great. it took three years yeah. to get five hundred one c three status, and then from that. Uh, Beth, Beth is on my board of directors, Michael's wife, and we started to think, you know, do we have to build a whole glass shop? You know, no, we can make 
an invention so that people right. in their wheelchairs, right. you know, can can use the facility of an existing glass studio. Wow. So then I designed and invented uh, and got and a U.S. patent. Yeah. Yes. Just within the last month um, on my invention called the Chariot. Congratulations Thank you. on that. Thank That's you. Huge. It took six years wow. of working consistently because getting a patent, I don't know if you know or, or the viewers know that only 20 percent of women have patents. 80% are men wow. that hold patents that are inventors. Well, good. You're helping change that. Thank you. Yeah. And the Institute for Women's Research Institute talks about how parity and patents will not be achieved till 2092. Mm-hmm. And and part of that is because women in school typically are more relational and so go in more helping professions than, say, engineering or science, which right. a lot of patents entail. Right. But I reached out to Loyola University in New Orleans, and I had three MBA students to graduate. They had to help me with the AutoCAD drawings and taking measurements, you know, of this this modified workbench that I conceptualized Mm -hmm. that someone can wheel their wheelchair up to and have an assistant assist them, just like we do as able-bodied individuals, have an assistant assist us. And so finally, after six years, I got the patent, and... It's just been so amazing. <coughs> That's so exciting. Thank you. I know you wanted to share with people. Let's say they had a product and mm-hmm. they wanted to get it patented. That was very smart that you went to a university and had the engineers there. Yeah. You know, I mean, what a great project that they got to work on something real. Yes. And my cousin helped me with that. He was an mm-hmm. MBA student at Loyola. Mm-hmm. So I would I would suggest if you have an idea to reach out to your network and ask mm-hmm. around, you know, do you know who could help me with this? Because right. that's what I started to do. Right. And my cousin came forward and he yeah. was able to connect me with the Loyola MBA yeah, department. I, I always think no matter what you want to do in life, yeah. it's always good to, you know, some people keep it to themselves mm-hmm. if they want to accomplish something. And I think the best thing you can do is ask around. Tell your network, hey, I want to accomplish this. I want to do this. And usually somebody knows somebody yes. that can help you. You know, That so, will tap into what, yeah, what you want to do. Exactly. And the same with the, the patent. You know, I struggled along for about five and a half years. Mm-hmm. And a friend, Laura Fine, who helped me file the, the 501C paperwork, mm-hmm. introduced me to a patent attorney with Texas Instruments. Wow. And at our dinner meeting, I quickly thought, there, this isn't going anywhere. He works with Texas Instruments. Yeah. But I shared with my, him my idea. And he was like, I really want to help you. This is a great idea. So he cut the fee in half and help me get the patent. And we just had lunch the other day for him to give it to me and because he really believed in what I was doing. So I think if you ask, you know, people will gravitate towards your idea if if your heart and soul is in it with conviction. Right. Yeah, people aren't always cut and dry about the money if it it speaks to their heart. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's great. So now now people in wheelchairs can do the glass blowing because of this uh, product that you've created. Since I just have the patent. Right. um, So it's all new. It's brand new. Right. That my attorney, that I'd love to give a shout out to it, the next IP law group Uh in New Orleans, he works with people that want to develop patents all over the country. Mm -hmm. He's licensed to do that everywhere. We are going to write a grant to get funding to hire someone to run that entity mm-hmm. and and build a prototype from my blueprint uh, that the MBA students helped me draw in AutoCAD. Mm-hmm. So that'll be our next step, to make oh, a prototype wow. and start testing it out. Right. What a dedication. This is a long process. Thank you. It is. Yeah. And this, when you and Jeffrey were talking about legacy, mm-hmm. you know, that really spoke to me. Yeah, that's going to be your legacy. It is. To leave that, that, that behind to absolutely. help handicapped people uh, be able to do that awesome 
uh, artistic, uh, you know, uh, craft. Because of the joy that yeah. it can bring someone yeah. and how that's really about our quality of life. I think the joy right. that we feel and what gives that to us, how can we create that, how can we right. generate that and then share it. Uh, so that that's what I hope so to cool. leave as my legacy. Yeah. And so how did you get into glass blowing? I started 22 years ago when yeah. I was getting my master's in social work at Tulane University, mm -hmm. and I signed up for a beginning class, never having made any art in my life, uh -huh. and just the mixture of the fire and the molten glass. That's yeah. 2,400 degrees. Yeah. You get suited up in leather and a face shield. And it's oh, just... that was the real draw, wasn't it? The yes. leather. Yeah, the leather. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do love leather. Yes. And it's just so physical right. and demanding that it just captured me. Like, I didn't yeah. think of anything outside yeah. of that studio, and it's still like that for me. I go yeah. there, and I just found it to be all-encompassing, yeah. you know, to create and make that you can't touch the glass with your hands. Right. So it's challenging. You have to use tools. Yeah. So it's a lot of problem solving, which I really enjoy. Yeah. And then you love seeing the outcome, obviously. Yeah. And yeah. That's really cool. Thank you. Uh, so it just like it was of interest to you. You took it and then you just fell in love with it. Well, and I'm yeah. always looking how to how to better myself through challenges, mm -hmm. similar to how you and Jeffrey were speaking mm -hmm. about also that, you know, I've had some really uh, sad things happen like you know that I've experienced mm -hmm. but I've I've allowed them to teach me and help me grow learn from them learn from them and and, and not only learn from them um put but them like, into a positive like action take it and like yes. move to action that's right. so important to me right. to take what is happened because people sometimes uh, their challenges they let them bring them down right instead of seeing well what good came out of this and how can I use it to help myself and other yes. people yeah. And I, I think it does take that time yeah. grieving. You know, you are down for yes. a bit in yes, my experience. Yes, of course. And as, yeah. that's okay. Yeah. But then from that. Like if it's loss, if it's abuse, if right. it's trauma, of course you have to feel those feelings. Nobody's saying don't feel that. Yeah. But don't let it own you. Yeah, don't I, let yeah. it run your life. Don't let it keep you from doing your life's purpose. 100%. Yeah. And I think our culture kind of gives the message don't feel it, avoid it, yes. you know, numb it. Sweep it under a carpet. Exactly. Yeah. So what you're saying, what your show is and 360 Karma Women is, are, you know, helping bring the awareness yeah. to embrace, lean into the rough edges. How do we Pema give Shodan back? Says. In what way are we meant to give right. back? And uh, are we doing that? Mm -hmm. uh, because the whole reason is because it brings such uh, joy and happiness. Yeah. If you're doing what you're meant to be doing here, uh, and utilizing that for the good, uh, it, it's going to make you a, a happier person, mm -hmm. more uh, live a more uh, robust life. Yes. Yeah. So I work to help my clients look for those opportunities. Right. You know, to um, to be of service. To tap I into can, that yeah. and get past their trauma or whatever it is they've been through. Uh, just as yeah. I've learned to look beyond myself and my right. sphere right in front of my face. Right. You know, to to go beyond that. Yeah. Well, it's amazing how you overcame all that you've been through. Thank and even you. it sounds like even helped your dad evolve. Absolutely. And, yeah, yeah. That's really He's cool. been really open to yeah. just hearing messages of, you know, change and And, and I love that you didn't stop there, that now you also had this friend that, you know, is handicapped and you wanted to create something to help them. I mean, what a great friend you are to Thank you. take that Thank so, you. so to heart. To and and yeah. so, you know, you're just giving back right and left. And and uh, I know how fulfilling that is. So it must feel great. 
It does. Yeah. And you also have your awesome uh, radio show called All Things Therapy. Yes, which you yep. have been a guest. Yes, I have. On, yeah, that I'd love to have you back. Fun. Yeah, I'd love to be. Well, remember you saying All Things Therapy, and I'm thinking, okay, what am I going to talk about on a show called All Things Therapy? But, you know, well, it I relates mean, to what you're it doing. It relates to everybody. Karma, women. Yeah, yeah, it does. You're right. Yeah. I mean, and therapy really is all things to, to different people, you know. I always believe everybody needs either some type of therapy or coach yeah. or something that they're working on themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, I think uh, we can't do it on our own. I think we need uh, other people's feedback and uh, experiences. Uh, or like Jeffrey was saying about you know finding your tribe of people who have maybe been through the same thing right. that you've been through. This is why things like AA work so well for people. Mm-hmm. They're with their own people. They understand their own problem like nobody else does. And I think that's the cool thing about uh, therapy, uh, groups, uh, any type of thing where people are helping people. Yes. Uh, it's about finding people that can identify with what you they've been through and uh, help them see it in a different way. Because uh, perception is so interesting. Uh, it's like when you can change your perception of things or an incident or your life mm-hmm. or whatever, uh, you start to see things uh, differently. Yes, you can look at the same thing point. and see it differently with a totally different perception. And uh, I, a lot of people maybe saying, what are you talking about? But, uh, you know, I think uh, when people understand that, that reality is not always uh, perception. Right. Like they, they think it's a reality and that their perception is what's actually happening. But it's not necessarily, it, it may just be their perception colored by whatever's happened to them, right? Yes, and I think that we are taught in our culture to um, have to figure things out on our own. Right. You know, so I like to psychoeducate, which is the term, my clients, mm-hmm. that, you know, to open up, open yeah. up your head, open yeah. up your heart to other channels of, right. of knowledge and that you don't have to figure this out alone. Right. right. You know, and, and my family, too, being Pakistani, that there yeah. is that message that you protect the family and you keep yes. secrets and yes. you don't ask for help. Because that would be weakness, right? You know, so, so but it's I've, not weakness. It's actually isn't strength. It a strength to ask for to help. Ask for help. And so I, I had to yeah. realize that through my own journey, right. that it's okay to ask for help and then right. be of help to others, right? And because you don't have to figure things out alone, right. right? And that can just be so helpful. And I know your uh, website is nolatherapy.com yes. if people want to reach you. Yes. Um, does Yes Foundation have a website yet? Not yet. So okay, right now I'm using nolatherapy.com okay. for everything. So that's N-O-L-A therapy. It's on the screen. And uh, it, sound, it's, it sounds like it's uh, about New Orleans, L.A. New Orleans, Los Angeles therapy.com. There you go. Yes. So that's easy to remember. Yeah. Nola therapy. And then you're uh, getting ready to do a book for next year. I am. Uh, the Excavation of Memory, mm-hmm. correct? And what is that about? It's it's called The Excavation of Memory Through the Eyes of a Therapist. Mm-hmm. And it's about a lot of what we spoke of today, just how it, it's an inspirational self-help book, mm-hmm. how your own experiences can help you push ahead and move forward to create the kind of life that you want. Exactly what we've been talking about today. 100%. Yeah. So that's what the book's about. Oh, that's yeah. cool. I'm looking forward to that. Thank you. Yeah. And so... Um, what is it that you would like uh, women to know as we wrap up sure. today uh, about how they can empower themselves? I think that we can empower ourselves 
by really tuning in to what's important to us. Mm-hmm. Be that daily. I try to do that daily mm-hmm. in the shower before you go to bed. Mm-hmm. You know what it is that you'd like to. Um, for me, just the words coming through my mind are, are how can I be of service and and what's right. important to you. Given if you have a family, if you're married, you know certain responsibilities one may have. Um, just really being honest with yourself. And also, I think it's very empowering at the beginning and end of the day, since you mentioned that, uh, to think of what we're grateful for. Oh, yes. You know, Catherine. I think that it, that colors our whole uh, way we look at life. Yeah. Because uh, we can always uh, put the focus on the dark side, but there's just something uh, magical about starting your day and ending your day, thinking about what you're actually grateful for. Because yes. we all have things to be grateful for. We mm-hmm. can find them. And, uh, and that really kind of sets the tone for the day and for your night's sleep. And um, I just think that uh, the work you're doing is amazing. Uh, certainly lots to be grateful for. Thank you. Yeah. Yes, yeah. I'm very grateful. Radio show, book, uh, Thank you. all the good you're doing, your Yes Foundation, your patent. Thank you. Uh, just rock on, girl. You're just, you know, trailblazing. Thank you, and, Catherine, as are you. Yeah, thank you. Yes. I'm so happy to have you on the show. I'm so happy to be on your and, show, uh, and I look forward to having you back on my show. We talk oh, about your next endeavor. I'm ready. Yes. I'm ready. Okay. All right, so thank you so much for tuning in, and we will see you next week. Hugs and happiness. Do you want to have more passion and purpose in your day-to-day? Are you yearning to ignite your power within? Now, more than ever, the world needs women who dream big, inspire others, and are living their greater purpose. There's never been a better time to up your game and make your success happen now. Contact Danny Rukin for a complimentary consultation and find out more about how you can become more effective, energized, and empowered while making a difference in doing what you love. Go to www.dannyrukin.com. The Live Love Thrive program is brought to you in part by Honda of downtown Los Angeles, supporting the equality and empowerment of women. The Live Love Thrive radio show is produced by 360karma.com. Are you a 360 Karma woman? If so, spread the word. Be sure to follow us on social media at 360 Karma Women on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Please like us and share us with family and friends. This is the year of the woman, and we are stronger together. Fans of the Live Love Thrive radio show, join us for our Live Love Thrive conference in Los Angeles on November 12, 2016. This will be one of the most dynamic and interactive conferences in the country regarding equal pay and the shift of putting more women into positions of influence, plus incredible speakers, music, and life-changing tools to help you find your life purpose and create your legacy. Get your tickets now at www.livelovethriveconference.com. 